Welcome back to School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, joined again, uh, as always, by Matthew Chandler. And this week, uh, joined by uh, freelance football journalist Richard Buxton. Richard, um, very nice to have you. How are you doing today? Yeah, very good. Glad to be on the show, to be honest. Yeah, it's good to, uh, you, know, it, you know, we didn't have as, as long of a break as we typically have, but good to be talking about Everton football once again here as the new season is about us in about a week now. Um, let's uh, get into – today's going to be a preview show for, for everybody listening. We're going to break down basically everything to expect this season from Everton, the ins, the outs, um, take a look back at some of the preseason friendlies and, and take a look at some of our expectations. Um, so let's start off with those ins and outs, the, the transfers. Um, obviously, the window will shut Monday, October 5th, so still some – business to be done or, or that business that can be done. Um, but the ins for Everton so far officially are Allen um, from Napoli at 22 million pounds, Niels and Kunku on a free. Um, and then we are also on the verge or they're also on the verge of signing Abdullah Decore from Watford, about 25 million pounds. Thomas Rodriguez from Real Madrid and 20 million pounds. Those hopefully will be done um, sometime in the near future. Uh, in terms of outs, Morgan Schneiderlin to Nice, um, Martin Stecklenburg, Kieran Dowell, Umar Nias, uh, Luke Garbett, and Kuko Martina were all released. Leighton Baines obviously retired, and Jabril Sidibe uh, ended his loan. So, uh, Richard, we'll, we'll start with you. Thoughts on the Everton business so far? Quite encouraging, to be honest. I think there was a lot of... I don't think dead would be the, the phrase I'd use, but I'd say there's a lot of players who weren't really up to the standard that, that Everton required. And I think we've seen, you know, poor recruitment over the past few years has, has, has been evident under various managers and, you know, previous director of football and, and arguably the current one as well, going back to last summer. So in terms of trimming the squad and obviously the wage has to be... To be um, Titans. I think there's been some good movement on the outgoings. I think we'd like to see more incomings, but obviously these things take time. And obviously, as we saw with Hamid Rodriguez, the Corey, and even Alan. I think you look at last week, Evertonians were getting a bit fraught. They were looking at people who were saying that, you know, he was he'd failed his medical or, you know, he'd rejected the contract and, and all these wild rumours through the rounds. But um, one's over the line, and hopefully the next two are going to be coming in a matter of days, and then there's going to be more by the looks of it. Um, Obviously, I've seen a few names floating around um, from the Sky Sports team on Merseyside today. Uh, there was one uh, at Atletico Madrid uh, as a right-back, which I think is definitely an area that needs improving. So, there's clearly going to be a, a bit of an evolution of the squad and maybe one that's a bit more short-term than, than sort of looking into the you know the middle distance, as, as has been the case previously. Matthew, anything to add to that? Um, I would just say that I think, like, you know, I think back to that summer with... Uh, Ronald Koeman when we spent all that money a lot earlier in the window um, don't, I never really had a problem with Everton sort of waiting longer to spend money this summer because you see like that summer for example you know how, how much of that money was wasted um, in the end quite pleased that Everton have held out to got you know three really really good midfield midfielders Angelos he obviously wanted um, and you know, at a lower price than was initially reported for some of them. Um, so pleased with that. I think there's obviously a lot more areas of the squad that need surgery. Whether Everton have the budget or the time to address all of them in this one window, I'm not sure. But I think we all agree that midfield was the most urgent uh, need this summer. So I think once Decore and Rodriguez are over the line, I think you've, you've pretty much nailed that down for another year anyway. Yeah, Richard, your opinion on this, is this, you know, more big money signings, a good show of ambition? I know, you know, you had a tweet earlier this, um, I believe it was earlier this week, talking about, you know, kind of the media's often, um, I guess, um, their their view of Everton and Everton signing these big names or bringing in a big name like Carlo Ancelotti as manager. You know, is this you know, a good show of ambition? Is this not learned lessons from um, previous windows? What's your kind of opinion on bringing in players like Hamas, like um, Ducore, like Allen, who may be a little bit older, but, you know, are still talented players who have shown that in other leagues around the world? 
Well, I think it's a necessary move. And I think, as you say about, you know, um, heeding the warnings from history. I mean, I, I tweeted a piece that Jonathan Wilson wrote in The Guardian over the weekend about Hamez. And he was saying, you know, Everton shouldn't be going after these sorts of players because they need to get, you know, young players from, I think it was like Augsburg and from the French League. And, and like yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm looking at it and going, have you not actually like, studied the recent history of Everton Football Club? Because they bought in one Lukaku. And he got fucked to Man United because United took a shine to him. He had Idris Agana gay. PSG took a shine to him. Uh, John Stones, Chelsea tried to get him. Man City got him. So, you know, you're, back, you're building these squads for, you know, the medium term. And then they're getting picked apart by the, I wouldn't even say bigger clubs, because I think you look at, you know, the histories of, of Chelsea um, and people like that. And they haven't actually got, you know, historically as big a on a roll as, as Everton. Obviously, they've been more recent, but... You know, they're coming in and just taking the pick of your players. I mean, even Chelsea got Barkley, who was, you know, a homegrown player. So, you know, this idea that Everton should always build for the future doesn't really work for me because uh, when you have built for the future, it's been a house of cards. Because when Lukaku went in 2017, everything sort of fell apart, even with all the all the recruitment, as you said before, Matthew, about, you know, with under Koeman. You know, it still fell apart because Lukaku was the focal point. And then you see John Stones going, you see Gay going uh, last summer. And, you know, it all falls apart. So, I think you need to build probably something short-term with established figures, focal points like Hamez, like the Corey Allen. They won't be here for five years, six years. They'll be here long enough for you to build the team around and then to attract stars uh, who are going to be, you know, basically your spine and your, and your future rather than picking up someone like Lukaku, someone like John Stones, who within about two, three years are getting picked off by the bigger team. So, I think you need to have that sort of short-term ambition to get players in on a on a sort of, you know, limited contract, shall we say, to then kick on because clearly the way Everton were doing it before wasn't working. But I think that, you know, it doesn't help with the media. We're constantly linking Lukaku away, constantly linking Stones away, constantly linking Barkley away. So I think it all, I think it's a bit of a perfect storm really in that respect. So for Everton to be showing this ambition now, I think it's, it's, it's overdue. And as you say, they have to learn from the mistakes of the past. And I think this is the solution. Yeah, I was just saying about that, um, Richard touched on that piece by um, Jonathan Wilson in The Guardian, which I think was, I think some of it was slightly tongue-in-cheek, the comments about, you know, the sort of lesser European clubs and younger players. And, but um, I, I, the, the, the way I interpret it was that Everton have kind of ended up with egg on their face a, a lot of times recently because of these, you know, they'll sign like the worst player from a bigger club rather than the best player from a smaller club which hasn't proved a particularly sustainable or successful transfer policy with people like, I don't know, Schneiderlin or Walcott, maybe, or, you know, Luca, Luca Dean's obviously the one you pick out and say is the exception to the rule. But um, I think, like I think I said to you last week, didn't I, that I think you look at our best players, probably Richarlison, and, and his, every club he's gone to has been a step up. So, you, you can kind of see that maybe why players from bigger clubs maybe have like a, a diluted hunger if they come to Everton and step down. But um, the, the reason why I would say these signs are different is because they all seem to, well, at least Rodriguez and Allen anyway, have previous with Ancelotti and um, obviously have, especially Rodriguez, have a really strong rapport with him as well. Um, and also the fact that you know, if we still have Marco Silva or even Ronald Koeman, or, or certainly Sam Allardyce, you can't imagine Everton would have attracted any of these players, especially having finished 12th. So, um, you know, when you marry a big-name manager with uh, big-name players, you'd like to think it's a, it's a better recipe for success. And then I think I think Everton has been smarter with the, with the, um, with the purchase so far this summer um, because they've got they like because they've got a manager who knows who he wants and he's buying the players that he wants. Yeah, I, I to bounce off of what both of you guys are saying, I think I've also, Richard, mentioned this earlier on the podcast um another week, um, in a similar sense. They am buying these Everton buying these players who can help them in the short term. So like you said, can they can build around those players because um, you know, and, and to your point, Matthew, I think these are the type of players compared to maybe other players Everton have brought in, like the uh, you know, the Theo Walcotts and, and whatnot, uh, Morgan Schneiderlins. I think these are the type of players who have, um, you know, real talent and have worked with Ancelotti before, which is obviously a bonus. But 
Um, I'm with you, Richard. I think that this is the way to go. I think right now we need to figure out short-term Everton, get it to the quality where, like you said, star players want to come here. And then, um, then we can build that youth up and kind of, instead of building, trying to build from the bottom up, build kind of a culture here um, that people want to be a part of. Um, moving on, speaking of players that, you know, we might also bring in, we've obviously seemingly addressed the central midfield now. Richard, you mentioned Santiago Arias, the Athletic Madrid, Atletico Madrid uh, right back who was mentioned today on some of the Sky Sports News. Um, if you had to pick a position, um, an area of the pitch that needs um, to be really that next focal point for this Everton team in this window, if you only had to pick one for the rest of the window, where would it be? I think probably goalkeeper. I think Pickford needs some real challenge. Um, I mean, we saw uh, Harry Sarah having a good game on Saturday against Preston, but, you know, you can't throw a kid in to, you know, the first team set up and expect him to replace any goalkeeper who's been out of sort. And, I mean, I got a lot of um, pelters through on the back end of last season. I think it was Southampton at home. And I said, when you look at the way Pickford's playing now, getting Joe Hart at the end of the season as a short-term option might not be a bad idea. And I still stand by that because even though he's not going to be, uh, you wouldn't have been your number one sort of, you know, for the course of the season, you look at what he did with Burnley. Nick Pope became an uh, infinitely better goalkeeper. Tom Heaton while he was there also. And, you know, now Nick Pope is now pushing Pickford for his England place. So, for me, I think you'd have to get a goalkeeper in who can really push him rather than, you know, people like um, Lossell, who was brought in basically just to be Steffenberg's replacement. Um which is disappointing, really, because I think that that area needs more competition. I think goalkeepers can be quite... I think they can rest on the laurels a little bit. And you know what Pickford's like with his personality and the way he approaches games. I don't know if it's... I mean, I said it last week in an article. I don't know if it's fear of being exposed for his, his competence or it's just arrogance. But there's things he does which don't really... You know, I mean, you look at the Wolves situation with being his tongue up to the camera after he's barely recovered the ball off the line. That's the sort of thing that, you know, you question what sort of goes through his head. And, and that's the sort of thing that, you know, if you have a decent backup who's going to push you and challenge him, and, you know, we can learn off of who's got experience like Hart has. Um, and I think Tottenham's game will be Everton's loss in that respect. I do think for all the wages that he's on and whatever else, I think he could have really provided some competition. So if someone's similar quality to Hart, similar experience and similar, you know, capabilities of pushing Pickford, that would be where I'd go. But I think there's there's other areas of defence that he's thrown probably, I think, if uh, Arias comes in and that sort of the right-back situation, because you can alternate between him and Coleman. Centre-backs, if Holgate's injuries as bad as we fear, then they're probably going to need to strengthen there. But um, I do think goalkeeping is probably the biggest thing and probably the one thing that Everton really needs to sort out sort of going forward, because it's all one good, upgrading your midfield and your attack. Granted, that needs improving. I'm glad that we're seeing steps by Ancelotti and the board to try and do that, but Pickford's the elephant in the room at the moment, I think. Can I, can I just ask, Richard, um, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but I feel like I'm I'm not a fan of, of Pickford at all. Um, but what I would say is, and you know, while you don't want to like stockpile a, a really and um, build this really bloated squad, we do have like other we have Lursall, we have the two kids, we do have like other goalkeepers. Whereas you look at areas like. Uh, right wing potentially where you've only really got Theo Walcott as a recognised right winger or um, unless you count in Nielsen Kunku you've only got one senior left back in Luca Dean do, do you think we should um, kind of look to strengthen places first where we don't actually have the strength and depth there not strength and depth because we don't have as great strength and depth in goal but the options maybe I guess yeah, I think definitely you need to, there needs to be an improvement all over, over the pitch. I do think you're right about, obviously, you know, and Kunku looks really, really good, especially on uh, on Saturday. Yeah. But will he be the option if, if Dini has an injury? I'm not too sure um, because of his inexperience, because he's adjusting to a new league and a new culture in, in England. So I think probably the, there's going to be a need to, to sort of strengthen the entire back line. As you say, the, the right wing is probably a problem area still that needs to be uh, addressed. Um, so I, I get your point on that, and I agree that that probably needs to be a priority. But I'm thinking in terms of obviously everyone's expecting yeah. Everton now to, to push for the for top six and stuff, stuff like that. So I think you need to try and have a, have a well-rounded squad rather than um, 
yeah. just identifying individual positions. But yeah, I think definitely outfield, probably take preference over over goalkeeping for the reasons you mentioned. But I do think still that Pippa needs a bit of a push to, to sort of to raise the bar a little bit because that's the sort of thing that's going to be different between you know three points and one point or you know three points and no points in some games that that are very much winnable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, I've I've said on this podcast before that you know I I agree, I agree with you guys. You know, right back I think is a position we need to look at. Um, I think, like you mentioned, Richard Niels and Kunku is kind of a similar situation to Harry Tyrer. Um, I think that um, you know they're just they've had really good preseason or they had a really good preseason performance. Obviously, Niels and Kunku two really good preseason performances, um, but. Um, they're not at that level of experience that we can trust them week in and week out. I'm not sure if, say, a, a Dean, Dean got hurt or, you know, a, um, or, or, you know, you wanted to put them in place of, of Pickford. But um, it, it'll be – there are certainly some areas. I think depth obviously might take precedent, as me and Matthew have talked about um, this year, due to also the fact of the loaded fixture schedule. Um, that might also be something that will – um, you know, play into kind of where we look next, but, you know, right back goalkeeper, you know, I love that, that, that talk about getting Pickford that extra competition. Cause we do talk about that a lot as well. And, you know, it, it's really important to, um, you know, get him that competition and kind of give him a little bit of a, a push to get him, I guess, you know, out of this, this way that he's in right now. But um, before we move on to, I guess, talking a little bit more in depth about the preseason, Richard, any more? Should we should we expect more? Much more dead wood to be on the move out um, before the window shuts, or um, you know, what's your expectations in terms of players um, leaving the club? I think it's going to be interesting to see what the situation is with uh, John Joe Kenny because obviously he's been on loan at Schalke and I didn't really see anything on Saturday. And yeah, it's preseason, but I didn't see anything there that made me think he's got a future here pushing Coleman for the right back slot. I mean, he obviously, he's benefited from being over there, but not to the degree that Everton would like. So I think probably John Joe might be moved. Um, let's talk about Theo Walcott and Fabian Delph being moved out, um, which is probably needed because I think they were both, they made sense in terms of an experience when they were signed, but it hasn't really worked out that way. Delph has been injured more than he's been available. He's obviously had, should we say, some run-ins with the fan base after the, uh, the FA Cup derby. And... Uh, Walcott, I think Walcott was probably quite endemic of the sort of Sam Allardyce era. He was sort of signed, you know, because his contract with Arsenal was was running out and, and Arsenal wanted to sort of get rid. Um, and he's just not worked out. And on Saturday as well. And again, as I say, pre-season's no, no rival in the case of how, how teams are going to play and how they perform. But uh, he really wasn't great. And, you know, I, I don't know how many more will be getting shipped out because obviously you've got Gabamon who's perennially injured from the midfield. Tom Davis has had a bit of confidence issues. I mean, I think he's a good player, but not everyone seems to share that viewpoint. And I do think a lot of it comes down to confidence with him. Um, and also, you know, we look at, obviously we won't go too much on the who went out in the summer, but Kieran Dow was released. Now, he's been to how many how many clubs has he been on loan to? Four or five in the past well, couple of years? Four championships, weren't it? Yeah. And Tom Davis has been trusted by for yeah. Everton managers in that time. So, clearly, they, they see something in them. Clearly, there is something in them. But I think just getting the confidence levels up and, and making them enjoy, you know, his football. I mean, we've seen it a few times. We saw it against Southampton um, before Silver got sacked. And, you know, clearly, there's a play there. So, I think he deserves a chance. Um, I think because of the lack of... Just, just to kick off there, um, Richard, that's that's an interesting point because, like you say, a lot of people do not share that same trust or belief in Tom Davies. Is there anything specific that stands out to you in terms of what he does on the pitch that makes you believe that there's a player there? Because um, obviously, I'm not sure we've seen – maybe we haven't seen the full potential, but what stands out to you to make you believe that there is a player there and um, – you know, and, and that you believe that maybe he has a, he still has a spot here on this on this team. I think it's his ability to front up. I think he's you know, you look at some players, they don't they go into hiding in games and I think, you know, one of the players that's left already, Morgan Snardling was a classic example, whereas Davis doesn't doesn't share tackles, he doesn't, you know, fear going in for, for for the ball and trying to, you know, win it back. He's definitely got a determination and 
you know, it's that sort of fighting spirit that a lot of Evertonians, I think most Evertonians, I'd say, want to see from a player. Um, he's just unfortunate that because he's he's one of Everton's own, he's, you know, a local lad, he's an academy prospect who's, who's got into the first team. He had that flying start with the goal against Man City. The expectations have been sky high, and when you don't meet those expectations, unrealistic as some may be, you know, you, you have the park end on your case. Even behind closed doors, you still have people questioning you on social media and that sort of thing. And I think, you know, I think his confidence has took a real battering. But I definitely think there's a player in there. But I think, as I say, four Everton managers trusted him. Colin Jossi clearly, you know, is going to see what he can bring to the table alongside this new reimagined midfield. So I think he, he deserves the time and the patience. Whereas, you know, people used to talk about Bowell was going to be the next big thing. And, you know, I don't, I, I can't remember how many, I think he made one first team appearance, I think, um, when Dave Wandsworth and Joe Royal took charge after Martin as his second, and that was, that was it. I mean, we never got to see Dowell. We kept getting told he was going to be the next big thing. And, you know, there were other players like that. But obviously, from that group of players, Davis was the one who punched through. And, you know, once he got into the team, that was it. You know, he, re- he retained the faith of the managers who, who came from Koeman right through to Antioch. So I think he deserves that, that chance. And it's similar. I don't really want to go into too much detail about Cross Park, but you look at Jordan Henderson. You know, he's had how many managers and how many critics and every every manager who picked him, picked him for a reason because he, he gets stuck in. And that's the thing, I think, to, you know, it's a different scenario with Davis and Everson, but obviously I think Ancelotti sees something in that the other managers did and, and hopefully the, he'll give him the uh, the time and, and you know, the, the, the faith to sort of kick on again. But I think he's got to, He's got to have more consistency to his game, 100%. But I think that will come once you get the confidence back. Absolutely. Matthew, anything to, to really add to this whole conversation? Tom Davies, the Deadwood on the way out, anything? I think um, you've got to look at at least getting rid of probably two central midfielders. Um, because I think you went through it. If you want to, if you want to include the likes of uh, Bezic and Beningami, for example, then you're looking at maybe like 10 midfielders on Evans books once Decore and, and Rodriguez are over the line. Um, and obviously, if Ancelotti is going to stick with a midfield two, then not all of his players are going to get enough game time, are they? So, um, probably need to get rid of some of them. Um, I slightly dis- disagree slightly on Walcott, not because I think he, he deserves to stay, but just because, again, I just don't think we have anyone else to, to really come in for him at the moment unless we obviously recruit in that area between now and then the window which you hope we would um, apart from that I don't I don't see where else really we can afford to let anyone go to be honest I think um, you know, we've only got three senior centre-backs uh, we've only got really two left wingers in, in Bernard and, and Gordon unless you move Richardson back there um, we've only got Three strikers, three fit strikers anyway, Charleston, uh, Keane, and Calvert Lewin. So I can't see Cheng Tosson going because he's injured until the end of the year. So um, I think midfield is kind of a bit bloated now, um, even though there's a lot of quality there with the three arrivals. But um, I think past that, you need to start looking at getting some of them off the books. Um, but obviously, the obvious issue with players like Sigurdsson, for example, because he's obviously been linked with move to the MLS is obviously whether his wages are going to be a stumbling block I'd imagine maybe players like Bernard or Walcott if they're linked with moves away they'll have the same problem but um, I think I think most of the players who you'd say you haven't had to get rid of this summer have already gone um, but maybe just one or two more you could do is trimming the spot of it absolutely absolutely now you know we did get a look at a lot of these players um, in the two preseason friendlies um, that we did play, um, that we did get to play, obviously the one, I guess it was, what was it, Blackburn that was canceled, um, I believe. Yeah. Um, but we did play Blackpool on August 22nd. Uh, that was the 3-3 um, draw away from home. And then Preston, um, not too long ago, that was, what was it, Saturday. Uh, we won 2 nothing at home at, at Goodison with Kenny and, and Calvert-Lewin scoring both goals. Uh, for though for them or for that uh, game, Richard, uh, you know I know we talked about this a little bit a little bit um, already in terms of preseason and talking about Niels and Kunku and and, and Harry Tire. Um, is it you know what can you take from a preseason friendly? Anything 
noticeable about this, these Everton games that stood out to you? Anyone particularly impressed, uh, impressed for you? Um, you know, kind of what's your outlook after those two games? I think from Saturday, I think was you notice how much the Charleston wanted the ball. He was really up for it. I don't know. If, I don't know if he was boosted by the Allen signing or if he's just had a really good preseason, you know, um, routine. But he was really on it and really wanted the ball, really driving the attacks, and and that was encouraging because even in a preseason game against the Championship side, he wanted to show it and he wants to show what he's got. Um, I think the, the, the probably the the youngsters gone up. For obvious reasons, obviously, Nkunku looked really good again. Really looked apart. Um, even Lewis Gibson looked good. Uh, Harry Tyler, we've obviously mentioned, and you know, he got. I saw he got a um, a bit of praise up Neville Savile on Twitter, which uh, will have done him his confidence world of good. So, I think you look at the youngsters; they, you know, impressed and in quite tough situations because you look at pre-season. Normally, you get like a if you. Go to like you look at the International Champions Cup a few years ago, and you know I think John Stone scored a penalty against Juventus, and everyone was raving off that. Um, but we never really saw sort of that sort of you know confidence, and I'd say probably in his performances. Obviously, it's a different scenario, you know, scoring a penalty in the pre-season. But I think the hype can get to play sometimes, and I think these youngsters coming through, they haven't because of the the pandemic. They've had to be, you know, having feet on the ground experiences with the sort of the lower league uh, teams being your, your opposition rather than the sort of, you know, higher, higher calibre, you know, the continental styles um, and that sort of thing. So I think from the, the youngster standpoint, it's been really encouraging. From the first team players, it's been a little bit hit and miss, as I say. Cavalier looked good, but Charleston looked really on top of it. Um, you know, the ones who probably are going to be moving, like sort of Balassi and Sigurdsson, um, didn't do the chances in the shot window any real harm with that. Although I think Balassi probably the the Sithry miss won't uh, won't have endeared him. But I think I do think that was pretty harsh on him because he he had a, a good performance, really giving it a good go. Um, and also it was a, just a few days after he he basically admitted he was getting merciless abuse and his family were getting you know targeted by fans. And I think I'm using that term very loosely. Um, who were having a go at him. And I think you know there's a, a to come back from that and sort of brush that off and then put a performance like that in sit aside I think whoever gets him or if he stays at Everton he'll definitely be an asset to them um, albeit he's not going to be the sort of you know regular starter that Anshorty's going to be looking at so I think there was a few positives there and I'd say it's tough to um, tough to gauge pre-season but from what you can see and obviously the limited circumstances I think it, it was encouraging on all fronts Matthew? Uh, I think the the standout one for me is probably Niels Niels and Kunku. I think um, not not just. I mean, yeah, it's it's hard enough reading into preseason games anyway without them being against lower league opposition. But he um, looks physically sort of ready, doesn't he? I mean, you see a lot of these like a lot of kids when they come through, they don't look they haven't sort of bulked up. Uh, yeah, they've still got a, you know some some way to grow physically. And Kunku already looks. Pretty much there in that regard for me. I thought um, I would like to see him maybe given a go as Dean's backup, um, and then you know potentially you could always resort to I guess Fabian Delph as well if you wanted to. There, um, if if Ancelotti didn't think Nkunku was up to playing the Premier League yet, um, but I mean I I thought he was really impressive, especially um, on Saturday. Um, and I guess the other thing I would say is, and again, it's lower league opposition, but I was pleased to see Calvert-Lewin score in both games. Because um, obviously, I think the last 10 games of last season, he didn't score. Um, so the, after the uh, after lockdown, he didn't score at all, did he? So uh, hopefully that will uh, that will spark a, a good, good run of form for him at the start of the season. And yeah, I think... You know, you'd imagine players like Balassi have only been given game time mainly, so so they are, I guess, a more sellable asset because obviously if they're, if they're match fit or closer to match fit, they're probably more likely to drum up interest than a player who's completely out of shape. Um, so I can understand why he's been given game time, um, but I yeah, I don't get the impression that Balassi is going to be um, getting in the team. But um, you know, fair play to him because he's. 
he certainly tried his best. Well, that miss, that miss on Saturday was horrendous. But <laughs> I'd say that aside, he's not, he's not really doing his chances of getting a move away any harm. Yeah, no, I agree with you, you guys completely. Uh, what was your guys' opinion? Uh, the player that I guess stood out to me the most, maybe, maybe not the most, but um, I guess I was the most surprised by um, Bernard. I guess in the middle of the pitch, I feel like he did a really good job of kind of picking that ball up and, and moving it forward. I was wondering what your guys' opinions were of him in that second game where it seemed like he was a large part of that attack and moving that ball forward to Richarlison, who was looking to get on the ball and, and get shots on that. I'd like to see Bernard given maybe in a more central role if we are going to go back to playing with like a, a midfield three. Um, because... While he's had he's had you know a number of impressive games on the wing, he doesn't. And Jan, he's played most of his career on the wing. He's never looked to me like a natural winger. Really, he looks to me like sort of a a more sort of central player who likes who can drift out wide. But uh, yeah, I agree with you. I thought he was another one who looked he was pretty integral integral uh, on Saturday. And um, I also thought he, he's another one who looks like he's kind of. Up a bit as well, you know. Looks physically a bit uh, bigger than he was. Obviously, very slight frame, small, but he, um, he looks to have come back with maybe something to prove as well. After the ending of the season he had last year, we lost his place to Gordon and kind of petered out. Um, and it has he's another one been moved linked with a move away. So uh, I like to keep an eye. I think he's a good player, and I think uh, I think Everton always look a a more potent team with him on the pitch. Um, I know he's lacked in product, but yeah, I think moving him into the into the into the middle is certainly it's not something I would just completely discard. Uh, Richard, yeah, I think some valid points there from Matthew. I think especially that you know Portland Central would be. I mean, again, I think you know you look at the sort of track record of plays of his physical stature on the wing. They don't seem to do a great deal, do they? Whereas you look at, I mean, you even look at Coutinho when he was at Bayern, you know, played a bit more centrally. Um, and, you know, obviously after the Barcelona mess, he was he was flitting back and forth. But um, I do think playing someone like Bernard, who's got that sort of technical ability and can drive the ball through the middle, I think that's, that's the best way to play him. But I think because of, of the way Silva was, um, with his, his outlook and obviously Antioch, he had to, had to play football to see a out of necessity to the team strengths at the time. That Bernard obviously found himself in the wide role. Um, and I, I do think he, he offers some of the team attacking-wise that I think some fans are very quick to dismiss. I think, you know, when you look at people who, who wanted to, you know, have the squad overhaul, one of the names at the top of the list for, the, for some people was Bernard. And I thought that was a bit strange because when you look at the games that he has influenced last season, even as bad as it was, I mean, West Ham at home was probably the biggest example. You know, he's clearly a creative force that can do some real damage, and I think that's what Everett needs. Someone who can, you know, be a bit deceptive. Obviously, you don't think they're going to be, um, you know, the size of him, and obviously the slight frame. You don't think he's going to cause as many problems unless he's, you know, banging him in from twenty-five yards. But he's clearly got that drive to to give it a go. And obviously, as as Matthew says, he looks like he has stocked up a little bit, which is going to help in terms of driving through the middle rather than playing that wide because I, I always felt it was a bit weird seeing him on the wing even though it was his, his naturalised position because he looked like a, more of a, a sort of number 10 playmaker who can you know pull the strings and, and drive you know play it forward in, in the, the middle rather than, uh, than trying to beat a man and I think that's a problem area when you've got a player who's that gifted but he's been pigeonholed into this position because of how, how effective he was for other clubs um, but it hasn't really been uh, a consistent run in that, those positions with, as I say, a couple of examples. So I think he'd probably be better in the central role than he would be out wide. And obviously, you know, you need players who can have a bit of presence out wide. Whereas I feel like he probably would be better in the middle because he will he will cause some problems for teams. And again, that will help with in terms of you know replenishing the the attack to, to supplement Richarlison and Calvert Lewin. You then got one position that potentially is filled there by having him in in in, in the hole. I think the other thing I'd say as well is that I think um, maybe fitness has played a part in that, and you hope he comes back uh, start of this season uh, fitter than he has been. I was looking because I, I, I don't think he has played a full ninety minutes for Everton since Ancelotti 
disappointed. I think it was last 90 minutes, like last December or something. So um, that's, that's been a kind of constant issue within even like the first season of the Silver. Um, but no, I think, I think he's... I guess the only thing you would say is, in terms of getting rid of him is, if, is do you do you garner the return from him in goals and assists to justify the, the wages Everton are supposedly paying him? But, yeah, I mean, as, like I said, I, I think for an Everton team have been so, so kind of predictable for the last few years, really. I think Bernard, you know, all right, he doesn't always come off for him, but he does add that sort of unpredictability factor about Everton and gives him an extra dimension, I think. You need to look at that West Ham goal where he sort of turns their old defenders inside out when it's probably easier to shoot in the first place to, for evidence of that, I think. Yeah, no, I, I mean, again, like I said, I think he um, showed real quality on Saturday, obviously against a lesser opponent. Um, you can't read into it too much, but I think it was he was pretty integral um, into in that attack. And um, he does have – I mean, I think he has a role in this team. It's a matter of, um, you know, obviously, like we've mentioned, the wing may not be it. But, um, I, you know, I think he's got a creativity that, you know, can help in that final third. And, um, you know, hopefully we see more of that from him as we go into the season now. But before we wrap up talking about the preseason and, and kind of the summer's ins and outs and, and everything that's already happened, um, Richard, any causes for concern ahead of the Tottenham match next weekend? Um, any causes for optimism? What's kind of your outlook after seeing these two friendlies um, I guess maybe what should we expect? And we'll talk a little bit more in depth about this um, a little later, but from the two preseason friendlies, what maybe stood out to you that would concern you or um, encourage you heading into next week's match? I think probably who's going to be available, really, and who's going to be sort of, you know, on the game, because obviously Alan's coming in, Rodriguez is coming in, um, Takole's coming in, but obviously we don't know how long it's going to take them to get up to speed. Obviously, you think the Corey having the Premier League experience previously, having played in England for you know a couple of years, should be easier to adjust to to his new setting. Um, Alan and Hamas, we don't know what's going to happen with them because obviously they're untested in the league. Um, but I think the biggest concern is probably at the back. I think obviously Holgate went off with that nasty open injury. Looks like he's done his ankle. Um, and what you know, we'll know more about that later this week. Hopefully hopefully before and Chelsea's pressed on Friday and, and hopefully the prognosis is, is quite encouraging. So that will be the biggest concern because he has been, Holgate's been immense, I think, over the past season. He's been absolutely brilliant. I think you look at that loan he had at West Brom, that's clearly built him up and he, even he admits that sort of toughened them up and made him, you know, improve on his on his attributes. Um, so he would be a big loss. And then how Pickford comes back into the team and, you know, how he adjusts because obviously it's, it's been a tough time for him, and you know you you do wonder if he if that ice penalty the weekend had actually been on target, would he have saved it? You just don't know, um, and you you wonder if that would have, have knocked his confidence. And okay, it's it's a subjective, you know, you can't really talk about stuff that's just not happens, but you do wonder what sort of sort of mindset you can have really, because as I say before, you don't you just, you can't second guess him really. You just don't know what's going on with him because. You don't know what pick, what what side of pick is going to turn up on, on any given day. He can have an absolute worldy one game. He can have a stink of the next. You just don't know, and that's the problem. I think you know improving the defence is, is obviously paramount at the moment. So alongside trying to upgrade the attack as well as what they're doing with the midfield already. Um, but I think obviously getting Pickford to a sort of position where he could be um, reassuring, uh, commanding. You know these are things that he prides himself on. On being, and he, you know, he picked out his best games as being those matches where he can dominate. And, and you, you just wonder against a team like Tottenham, um, with Mourinho obviously being quite a, I, I wouldn't say archaic, but he's quite prag, pragmatic. I think you're going to face some challenges there. And I think he might try and throw a few balls into the box. And I think that's where, I think that's the one question mark in terms of obviously, you know, established players who, who we know are going to come back and and who are going to turn up, i say, the other three who are coming in, you don't know if they're going to all start, you don't know if they're going to be even in the squads, depending on how how up to speed with fitness they are, but um, I do think that probably the back's going to be the bigger concern, and especially with Holgate out, that is going to really cause some problems, I think, for Evan. Matthew, anything to add? Um, I was slightly concerned in the Blackpool game, I guess, about just how still kind of 
open Everton were and how porous defence was. Um, obviously, I haven't seen any arrivals in defence since then, but um, we hope that three more weeks of training and obviously a Premier League game will kind of focus minds in that sense. Um, in terms of optimism, I think just things we touched on before, really, about you know Richarlison looking at it, Bernard looking, uh, you know, improved on, on how he ended last season, how about Lewin back among the goals. So, um, I think going into the season is kind of, I don't think anyone's expecting this to be like the season where we like break the top four again or anything like that. But I think the, 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 as poor as like the end of last season was, um, it passed. I think you can certainly say there's been signs that Everton have are on the up again with Ancelotti. There's been strides made and there's been improvements made. So, um, just need to kind of uh, carry that into the start of the season, really, and build from there. Well, you mentioned, you know, kind of what to expect, I guess, this year. Maybe it's not that year for the top four for Everton. But as we look forward to the season, Richard, what would constitute a successful league campaign for the club? I think in terms of the Premier League, probably a top six finish. Um, obviously, you know, it's getting more crowded there. Obviously, you've got people like Sheffield to the left there. Um, and Tottenham themselves, you know, fighting amongst to try and get into that top four. But, I mean, you look at where Everton have been over the past couple of years. They've been largely the best of the rest. Obviously, I know, since Koeman left and, and Silva came in, it's been a bit, bit of a different story. But I think there's definitely potential to break in there. But I think the media are now saying because Everton are spending money that they should automatically be in the in the top six. I don't think it's going to be that cut and dry. I think it might be, you know, push between sixth or seventh. And I think even that will represent progress from, from finishing, you know, I think it was the bottom half of the table um, at the end of last season. Even with the strides they made under Ancelotti, the damage uh, beforehand due to Grayson also as well. There was a few little uh, mishaps, obviously Wolves, you look at that, Southampton at home, Bournemouth on the final day, you know, there was there were games that could have been won um, and, and weren't and, and were done, you know, happened in very difficult circumstances in terms of performances. Um, but I think the cup competitions are definitely worth going for though. I mean, I think you look at Chelsea's record at Chelsea when he was there in, in the two seasons, he always tried to give the Cups a good go. I mean, his, his, his record in the League Cup wasn't great but I think that's probably where Everton's probably best chances of success is going to come from. So I think you'd like to hope that they're going to go help Everton in the League Cup. It's been that competition which has always been the one up with that got away. York Martinez was on the verge of, of the final in 2016. York Moyes was on the verge of it. You know, there's been opportunities to, to try and break into it and to try and, you know, win the one thing that's been missed from the cabinet and, and just fates or misfortunes coming into play. And I think the League Cup probably is because the team will play weekend sides from a Premier League level, you know, even Man City have won it and they've not played really, you know, the full-time side in every game. They've got a great squad. So, you know, their second string is probably compatible with Everton starting 11. But uh, I think there's definitely a chance to go for that and maybe the FA Cup. I think there's got to be something coming out of the season, whether it's European qualification or a trophy. And I think most fans will probably take a trophy given how many times the... Uh, the years that have elapsed have been rubbed in the faces by uh, the friends across the park. I think, um, especially like having seen, you know, for a start, for a start, for a starting run in, in the League Cup, obviously having got Salford in the second round and then Fleetwood or Port Vale the round after that, looking at two two clubs in League Two, one club in League One, um, it's not really any excuse for Everton not to win those games. And then, then you're into you know, fourth round, and that's what three or four, three or four more games than you're in the final. So, um, I I think I think obviously the league is always like the top priority, but I think Ancelotti would be would be wise to to really go for the league cup. I think once 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 this hoodoo, which obviously been going on for quarters of a century now, has has been has been ended. I think um, Everton will find it a lot easier to to, to carry on winning things after that. Um, and especially with the congested season that we're going to have, I think you, you see teams rest players in the League Cup anyway, but I, I would imagine you probably see that more this season just because of the congestion. I was looking at Tottenham's like September fixture list and they've got like uh, three or four Europa games plus two League Cup games plus three league games. So um, teams that are in Europe especially are going to have 
you know, really hard time rotating the squad and keeping all the players fresh. And I think that's something I've got to look to capitalise on, I think. Um, and with the league, I would say, um, I would say anywhere from seventh up is a, is a really good season for Evan. Um, may, maybe eighth. If there's, if there's obvious, like, tangible signs of improvement in the, in, in the squad and, and the football and the playing style, I think um, maybe you could afford, like, another season out of Europe. But I think a, a, a good run in, in the Cups has got to be something Ancelotti. And like Richard rightly said, he, he had, he'd had that Chelsea um, won the FA Cup in the Premier League in his first season, didn't he? So, um, and he's always been kind of, I don't know, back to Johnny, won, ever, ever won four titles at these kind of elite clubs. I mean, people seem to sort of paint him as this kind of cup manager. So I don't know whether he will, he will fancy chance in the Carabao Cup or the FA Cup but I think that's de- that's definitely got to be um, something that he and Everton take as seriously as possible really. Yeah absolutely I, I agree I think uh, like you said seventh or above establishing uh, ourselves as um, you know that best of the rest or um, you know in, in that in that conversation I think that would be a huge step in the right direction I think the League Cup is something we definitely need to go for we need to look to um just really, you know, like you said, it's been 25 years since, since Everton won a trophy. Um, you know, it's time to end that drought. And I think you're right. I think if, if Everton can win that trophy, I think it could be something that can kickstart, you know, a little bit of confidence and a little bit of give it, give the team a little bit of boost uh, moving forward and, and kind of get out of that, that curse that seems to be surrounding the club for so long. Um, and especially with everybody else dealing, you know, in that top six specifically dealing with, um, dealing with all these other competitions like the Europa League or the Champions League and whatnot. Um, I think this is going to be a, uh, you know, a year we really need to take advantage of the fixture schedule and, um, you know, use it to our advantage and the fact that we won't be playing those competitions and we'll have more rest and whatnot across the board. Um, before we move on to kind of a preview of the match next week, Richard, if you had to pick, you know, uh, you know, a player, two players, whoever it may be, who is it? a make-or-break season at, uh, for, for, at Everton? I think there's quite a couple of contenders there. Um, I think, I mean, we mentioned Pickford before, um, but obviously I think his, I think as the England first choice still, despite the, the emergence of Dean Henderson and Nick Pope, he's still, you know, the first choice of Southgate's eyes. And, you know, unless there's an, an alarming slide, I think he'll, um, he'll be there for the foreseeable future. So I think even if he has, you know, peaks and troughs, with Everton, I think it'll it won't dampen his standing in the international setup unless it really does hit the skids. Um, I think probably players like Iwobi, um, like Gomez, who aren't going to be uh, what you'd call automatic starters, have got a lot to prove in terms of what they can bring. So I think they will need to obviously show the worth. And, and obviously people like Gabamon, who, who's perennially crocked, if he does get back to fitness, he's going to have to show that he was worth you know, the 20 odd million that was paid for him. Um, so there's a couple of players in there. I think probably in terms of the biggest one, um, I think it's the ones in the positions that Matthew's respond that, you know, that Evan aren't well stocked in on the wings. And, you know, if Anchorage doesn't address them, people like you Obi who've been, you know, playing there occasionally and, you know, to a lesser extent, Walcott, um, they're going to really have to show that they deserve a place in this team because it's, gonna, it's not a place where you're going to be able to hide because Anchorage doesn't demand passengers. He doesn't, doesn't tolerate them. So, I think a lot of the players out wide are probably going to need to step up if they're, if they're kept on the books. Do you get the impression with, with Pickford, uh, Richard, that he's, and I don't know whether you'd say this is understandable or not, but I always get the feeling he's more, um, more sort of bothered, I guess, or more enthusiastic about playing for England than Everton. Is that, you know, that's fair? Um, is that just, is that just human nature with, you know, representing countries? That's just is that fair for any player? Do you think? I I don't know if it, if he if he is more bothered. Well, do you mean bothered as in the criticism hurts him more, or do you mean he's more interested in playing for England? More more interested, I think. I mean, I I think he's, just... he's pumped up enough for Everton, isn't he? But I just think I think the mistakes he for England seem to hurt him. Or you know, he hasn't made many mistakes for England to be fair. But I think, yeah. He seems to brush it off a bit easier with Everton, I think, doesn't he? When he's, when he's been I think the two go hand in hand. I think, I think the yeah. criticisms that he gets for Everton bother him, and he thinks that it's all because he's England number one. And I mean, he said that, that phrase in February, I think it was, before lockdown, that 
people criticise me, you know, Gary Neville, the punters, they criticise you because you're playing for England because they hate you, and it's like, yeah. that's not really true. They criticise you because you've had a few shitty performances. I mean, mm-hmm. but I do get the feeling that there is that sort of confrontation side of the I mean, we all remember the uh, the Newcastle game at the start of last year. Yeah. Um, when he came off and, the, you know, the Newcastle under Golden for obvious reasons and he's, he's basically with his body language he's like motion to sort of, you know, more or less go well tried and sort this and it's like, you know, he might not, he, he might not, you know, mean it in, his, in, in what he's doing but there's obviously a, a sort of, I, I don't know if it's a cockiness or a, if there's some sort of negative attitude there but it does seem to definitely creep in and I think, I think, again, I said it last week in an article, it might be because he's trying to mask, you know, some fragile confidence. He doesn't strike me as he, he does all these daft things, but I don't think he's... I don't think he does it, you know, deliberately because he's, he's that sort of person. I think it's more sort of... It's more of a defence mechanism, more of a coping mechanism. And I do wonder if that's why the England stuff bothers him more than it does ever to me. Because I think he's probably just... He's probably, after what, four years now? Three years? Three years. He's probably looking at Everton going, well, you know, they're going to get you on your back, whatever you do. Whereas England, I think it hurts him because obviously he was, he's, you know, brought up in Sunderland. He obviously has a great deal of pride representing this country. So he probably it probably bothers him more in terms of the criticism he gets. I don't think it's more the enthusiasm. I think it's more the, the criticism that bothers him than than the sort of appetite, I think. I think it's I think it's also I think I think you're right in that it feels more like he's all the kind of bravado you get with Pickford is more kind of overcompensating for, you know, uh, sort of fragile confidence than sort of arrogance that some might people might perceive into our um but I, I wonder if Everton actually do him any favours by sort of. I remember just after, just after the World Cup when he when he made one good save. I think we played Fulham and then Everton like put on the scoreboards and like England's number one. And I don't think that really helps him because I think if you just have him focus on Everton and not be reminded of any anything to do with England, I think that would. I'm not saying he has to be dropped as England's number one to to regain his form, but I just think. Um, he could do with just not having any reminders about England while he's playing for Everton, I think. Um, and you have to, I think you're right in terms of, yes, we've, we've got all the goalkeepers on the books, but he certainly needs stronger competition than what we've got. Um, I mean, to be honest, he's had, he's had two poor seasons in a row now for me, so I think you have to say this is a make-or-break season for, for Pickford, yeah, because you can't you can't imagine he will, he will say if he has another third successive underwhelming season um, in terms of other players I think uh, Gomez is a good example Iwobi is a good example Iwobi needs to figure out where he wants to play really um, as much as anything I think the same applies to Tom Davies I don't I don't think um, you know Tom Davies still got majority of his career ahead of him but I think in terms of whether he's going to make it Everton it feels like this will be a defining season when you consider the midfielders we just brought in as well. Um, the other one I'd probably pick out is Moise Keane. I'd like to see him give him more of a chance as well this year. Obviously, it can be hard for him to use Calvert-Lewin. Certainly at first, I think, I think we'll start the season with Calvert-Lewin um, ahead of him in the pecking order and understandably so after last season. But, um, you know, we kind of... You can see that there's a player in there with Moise Keane. It's just about coaxing out of him and I think... Um, I think Ancelotti can see that as well. I think Ancelotti likes him and um, you know wants to, to persevere with Keane. So um, I suppose you say again whether it's a make or break season from Everton because you know he's still very young and he's got time on his side. But um, I guess there was a kind of feeling of being a bit underwhelmed with Keane, rightly or wrongly, last season and. Um, you just want to see him kick on this year and find his feet and start scoring. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, all great points. Um, obviously, if you, if you guys want to check out, uh, to our listeners, if you want to check out Richard's um, a latest article about Pickford came out uh, September 4th. It's called Pickford Stands Out for All the Wrong Reasons um, and kind of talks about a lot about, you know, what Richard just mentioned and, um, you know, some of the things going on with him. And, and just to kind of hit on that point about, um, you know, uh, Pickford getting called out by the media and the pundits because he is the England number one, or that's what he believes. I think in some respect as media members, it kind of is that way. You know, I feel or it should be that way because if you are the England number one, 
you are held up to a certain standard because, you know, especially if there's players like Dean Henderson or, or Nick Pope that are playing well around there, I think that, you know, if you are England number one, you know, just not on England, you have to hold up to that standard. You need to hold up to that standard in the club as well. Um, so, I mean, maybe he doesn't deserve all the criticism he gets in terms of that. Maybe some of that is exaggerated because he's England number one. But I think in some senses also because he's the England number, number one, he should be under, I guess, more scrutiny than, you know, a regular English goalkeeper uh, around the league just because he's not only – supposed to be your club's number one he's supposed to be the country's number one as well and I think um you know in some senses that's that's a fair thing to look at um moving on now to um kind of just really wrapping things up and taking a look at Everton's first match of the season that'll take place um Sunday September 13th it'll be 4 30 p.m uh British Standard Time here on the East Coast in America it'll be 11 30 a.m um, last season, Everton tied Tottenham um, or drew Tottenham 1-1 uh, back in November, and then um, they lost to Tottenham 1-0 um, after the restart in July. Um, Tottenham finished sixth last season, uh, qualified for Europa League on the last day with a win, um, I believe. Um, Richard, thoughts on? I know I think you've talked about this a little bit already, but thoughts on Spurs under Mourinho? Well, I mean, first off, I think we've got to talk about the Amazon documentary because um, <laughs> they were quite convenient, conveniently airbrushed um, the one-all draw at Goodison where some basically ended Gomez's season. Yeah. Uh, all about that was, you know, swept under the carpet. It was like, well, they lost, they lost at Anfield and then they drew at Goodison. It's like, oh, hang on. At Goodison, their player who's screaming about how had a red card on, on one of the future episodes, you know, basically went through Gomez. I mean, how can you, how can you, you know... How can you just go, oh, no, we won't talk about that. It's like, it's like it, it was the elephants in the room. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think you saw the difference between the Pochettino Spurs and, and the Mourinho Spurs in the two fixtures. I think you saw a more dogged, uh, more stubborn uh, Spurs team. And I think it, it comes into the um, Mourinho's favourite phrase, you know, you all need to be the C-word, basically. It's, it's sort of, you know, you've got to be a T-attitude and, Okay, Everton weren't great when he went down to London, and obviously after lockdown, you know, you see teams' forms do fluctuate, and I think Everton were a classic example. But um, I think they're going to be Mourinho teams are tough to beat, but Everton have beaten them in the past, and you know we saw basically Everton one of the teams that that proved his unraveling in the second time at Chelsea. Um, so I think it just depends on sort of what sort of Tottenham team turns up because I think. With this whole documentary thing, I think there might be a bit of an ego trip there, and you know, you don't know what's what's going through the minds. You don't know if if, if the if it does play into the thinking. You know, some of them will think because they've been you know given additional camera time that the bigger players in that sort of pond than they are. I don't know, but you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they're going to approach this with um with Mourinho in charge from the start rather than coming in midway through because I think uh, he was just muddling through basically and just trying to salvage some respectability from them. Uh, last season, I think this season they're going to need to really, really be on it, especially with the expect, you know, the demands um, of the chairman and of, of the fans. They're going to want to be aiming higher, especially you know what nearly two years since they were in the Champions League final. So, I think the onus is on them to sort of come out the traps, um, which could suit Everton, but it also could backfire depending on how well drilled and how how sharp and fast shot players. It was very, uh, it's very sort of on brand for Mourinho the documentary, wasn't it? Because you have like 10 minutes where Pochettino is still managing and barely says a word. And then uh, it's, um, I've, I've watched the first four episodes and then basically go through every game that Mourinho's uh, been in charge of pretty much. It's like nitpicking everything he says and, you know, every, every time he swears at any Tottenham player. Um, just kind of it's a big sort of diva of English football, isn't he? Um, but I think, yeah, I think that, that game in July is... is Insipid as Everton were, I think you can kind of see what Mourinho's good at, which is just wearing teams down, grinding grind results out in the most sort of, you know, the least aesthetically pleasing fashion, I guess, but um, works for him. And, and you have, you'd have to say Tottenham got better under him as opposed to under Pochettino at the start of the season just because of where they were compared to where they finished and the upturn in results. But um, I don't really, I don't see Tottenham as a team that is going to massively kick on. In fact, 
with the signings that haven't made, I almost feel more sort of optimistic or confident or excited about the season as an Evertonian than I would have if I was a Tottenham fan, I think. Because um, I don't see how much further Tottenham realistically are going to go under Mourinho. Um, but it'll be a tough game. Obviously, at Everton, aside from Liverpool, you'd probably say the other bogey team they've got in the Premier League is Tottenham. So, um, whether that presents its own sort of mental hurdles, um, you know, is is open to open to debate. But I think I think it's really important Everton don't don't lose this one just because it's the first game. I think you kind of want to set the tone with. Um, we always seem to draw first game, don't we? I remember Ronald Koeman's first game against Spurs, and uh, Evan actually played really well uh, for most of that game and, and got really credible one-one draw. That was a much better Tottenham side than the one at the moment. So. Um, I think don't look at it and think, yeah, I mean, you could certainly ask for easier games to start the season, but I don't think Spurs are a sort of daunting prospect they might have been a few years ago either. Yeah, it'll be an interesting one. Um, obviously, that um, that documentary kind of gives you a little fun insight into what, you know, Spurs are like under Mourinho. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they play with Hoiberg, obviously a player that was linked with Everton, um, but eventually made a move to... Um, Tottenham, they also signed Matt Doherty. So um, a couple good defensive prospects for Mourinho to work with. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see how they come out. Obviously, our midfield will be the topic of discussion, I think, um, leading up to the match uh, for the rest of this week. Who will play? Um, obviously, Matthew, uh, like we've talked about before and has been mentioned, um, you know, our midfield didn't play that well in that, in, you know, in that game. So um, if we come out in a similar midfield, you'd hope that they would control the game a little bit better in that aspect. Um, but when we look at setting up for this game, Richard, how do you expect Ancelotti to set up? I think it depends on what sort of additions he makes between now and, and then the end of the week. I still think he's going to have to go with 4-4-2 just because that's the best way to sort of utilise what he's got at the moment. It's, it's more of a necessity thing than it. You know, three. Um, obviously, you know you can put obviously you can put Hammers in as a sort of you know um, floating um, midfielder. Really. You can sort of drift in in behind Richardson and and Cavalier, or you know he could probably go for a four-two-three-one. But I think that complicates things a little bit because you look at how he set up last season with Gordon out on the right, but he was a right-sided midfielder, not a winger. Whereas if you do a four-two-three-one, you have to have an actual you know, right attacking midfielder or a winger in there. So um I think probably sticking to the principles that he had at the back end of the last season is probably gonna be uh, the way forward at the moment. Obviously as you say the window doesn't shut till you know the start of October. Still plenty of time to get some additions in. Um but until that time I think he needs to stick with what he knows and, and, and just look at sort of being slightly conservative because he knows what sort of manager Mourinho is. He knows he sets up. Um and then if you look, all things considered, I think the result in July was, was a semi-credible one. You know, only losing 1-0. Um, it's a semi-credible result, even in defeat. So I think probably going for that sort of conservative approach will, will suit Ancelotti and suit Everton until there are, you know, new faces and more new faces than, than are currently expected. I think the problem with that, uh, with Everton's performance that night was that you know, if you remember the, the midfield just didn't put in any tackles did they and just got overrun well, no, it wasn't even that Tottenham really laid the glove on Everton it was just Everton was so sort of timid and, and weak in that in that midfield it was just easy for Tottenham to kind of bypass them um, remember Gary Neville being on commentary basically slaughtering Gilfie Sigerton all night for not putting a foot in or not you know imposed himself um, and you'd like to think that if it's if you say Allen and Decore in a midfield two, then, then that won't be an issue because you'd like to think they've both got a lot more presence in that in that sense. Um, Allen obviously <laughs> seems to love tackling more than scoring a goal or anything else. So um, I think that'll come in handy in these sort of games uh, where it might be more of a battle for Everton. Um, I think, yeah, I, mean, I agree. Football two seems the most likely. I guess it's just a case of who the personnel in that midfield, whether uh, Allen and, and Rodriguez are match fit already or, or Decore. I think Decore is probably the most likely just because uh, he has obviously that Premier League experience that probably come in handy certainly at first while Allen and Rodriguez sort of bed into the league a bit more. Um, 
but um, certainly more reason for optimism now with the, with the midfield, midfielders that we brought in or are about to bring in uh, than maybe a few months ago or even if, like a few weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, totally agree with that. Guys, predictions for, uh, for this weekend? Richard, we'll start with you. I think probably a one more draw would be a big result, um, given the circumstances at the moment. Obviously, still a lot more players to bring in um, for Everton. So, I think a one more draw would probably be um, a great result. But obviously, I'll be optimistic and he wants to see Everton to actually go out and win. But I think probably that's going to be the, the fairer reflection of how it's going to play out, I think. Matthew? I would say the same. I think one-one. Um, one-one is what I was going to say, and um, I think if Everton can can draw this one and then back that up with uh, beating West Brom and Crystal Palace, at Brighton, the three games after that, then ten points from the first four would be a really commendable start ahead of that derby in in October. So, um, just got to just got to. If we start the season and beat and run, I think that's. Um, that's a really important thing, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I I, yeah, I kind of agree with you guys. I think 1-1. One, one, I don't think there's going to be too many goals in this one. Um, you know, hopefully just even, you know, even if we, we don't get a point out of this, just to see some improvement if, if those, those, um, some of those signings do play. Um, some news um, just saw on Twitter right now in terms of James Rodriguez. Um, according to Pip, uh, I think it's Pipe Sierra, um, He's reported that, um, and, and again, I don't know how true this is. I'm just seeing this on a bunch of Everton accounts. Um, he's reported that Hamas has trained with Everton and the announcement will be soon okay. and that the deal is worth, um, I believe it's a three-year deal worth £7 million per season plus bonuses, which I believe, if I did the math right, is 130 k a week, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, I mean, I guess some quick reactions to that, hearing that news and, and what it could be if it is true. I was just seeing Everton. I was just going through Everton's Twitter, and they they tweeted while I've been doing the podcast saying, "Happy Independence Day for a Brazilian." Yeah, yeah, they they did, which I'm sure got some some great great tweets. But um, and, you know, does that hearing the numbers change anything for you guys? Not really, because I think it's what you expect, isn't it? Yeah, it's, right. It's not. I don't think it's as much as say you you think you you generally sign a sort of world star football for I think so um I think Everton have done pretty well in this one financially to be honest. Yeah. Richard anything? No pretty much what Matthew said I think it's probably the going race and you know it's obviously encouraging that obviously you know reports coming out that you know he's obviously been to Pinch Farm we obviously saw the pictures today um, I've been weaving his hotel and you know he seems to be it seems to be edging ever closer. I think with Everton, you know what it's like. These things do take time. You, you know, we thought Alan was going to be announced on Thursday, then on Friday, and then Saturday morning, there it is. And it's all done and dusted. So, I mean, these things, especially for a player like Camers, it's a massive coup, really, because I think I can't actually remember the last time Everton signed a player, barring Samuel Esso, who'd been, you know, just past his best, but was truly world class. I think probably Esso was the last one, because before that, you're probably walking at Gaspar and Ginola, which is, you know, 20 years previous so I think to get him at 29 I think is massive and I think as you say you've got to pay to go and rate for these players and hopefully he'll do the business Absolutely Well Richard thank you so much for joining us we really appreciate it No problem guys thanks for having me on Of course, of course. Matthew as always thank you and to everybody out there thanks for listening and we'll talk to you guys next week